Hello, welcome to uh, Hacker Public Radio on Omroep on 104.7 FM. It is 3 o'clock and uh, with me today is uh, my good friend and co-host Ken Vellen. Hello. And today we don't have five guests, but we have one, but certainly not less than uh, the last time. Uh, our guest today is Bert Hubert from PowerDNS. Hello. Hello, uh, Bert. Nice to meet you. Um, today I wanted to talk to DNS. To talk to you about uh, DNS, and for the people uh, who have no idea what I what I mean by the term, could you explain for them what what it is we're going to talk about? Sure, um, DNS is um, it's been called the phone book of the internet, and uh, so if, whenever every time you visit a domain name, you visit a website, you enter a name because people like entering names and don't like entering numbers or IP addresses. Um, so DNS is the phone book that actually translates these names into the IP addresses, which saves a lot of uh, remembering. Um, if people ask, do I actually need DNS? Uh, well, you could be you could not use the internet without it. So at most internet service providers, when they say our DNS is down for the average user, that means the whole internet is down. Um, so DNS is um, it's it's I think, but I would say that of course I think it's one of the most important parts of of the internet. And what I try to, what I like to tell people is that we're like the sewer of the internet. Very as nice. long as it works, you don't know it's there. <laughs> and when it stops working, you're in deep shit. Okay. So the the idea behind DNS, it's supported by all operating systems, even your mobile phone or whatever. And you want to go, can you talk us through, I want to go to www.hackerpublicradio.org. What happens on your computer? Yeah, actually... An, an immense, a tremendous number of things happen. Um, and and it, 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 if when you hear it, it's like, oh, wow, it's amazing that it works at all. Um, because the internet, there is no central place of the internet. Well, maybe maybe it's here this week. But but on the other side, there is no central place of the internet. So there's no not one big list that says, well, here are all the domain names of the internet and here are all the IP addresses. Uh, that would be a very interesting place to be if you had that list. Um so DNS is uh, the domain name system, but the D might as well stand for distributed. That means yeah. that it's it's all over the world. So if you ask, let's say you want to go to www.ohm2013.org, yep. your phone, for example, will ask your internet service provider, do you have the IP address for me? And typically it will say, yeah, I do hear this. But let's say it didn't already know that IP address. Um, it would have to start asking around the world to say, well, uh, and let's start at the sort of central place. It's called the root servers. The root of DNS. There are now hundreds of these root servers. And uh, some of them in the Netherlands, some of them in the US. They're everywhere. Um, which is it's also interesting because if you own the root servers, then you own the internet. It's, but we'll, we'll probably get to that. Um, and then your ISP will ask that root server, do you have the IP address of ohm2013.org? And the root server will, will say no. I don't have that list, but here is the org servers. Here are the IP addresses of the org. And you can ask, ask over there. And they will actually go there and say, well, do you know the IP address of ohm2013.org? And the org servers will again say, no, we really don't know that. But we do know the IP addresses of the ohm name servers. So go ask there. And finally, there you, uh, they, the, answer, the question gets repeated. What's the IP address of www.ohm2013.org? And you will finally get back the answer. This can take 25 packets for one um, um, question. And, and that's, that's the amazing part, that it mostly works. So on, on your own PC, you will get the 
the DNS server that you talk to is the DNS server normally supplied by your router, which is normally configured by your ISP, so you it will know your ISP's D, DNS server. Yeah, there's a thing called a stub resolver, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a part of all operating systems, so it's also in, in printers and in phones and in, 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 in webcams and whatever. And this stub resolver is a little library that doesn't really know a lot about DNS. It just knows enough to ask a question of your internet service provider. And um, internet service providers, they they run this service for you and they call it a caching resolver. So the the story is your your browser wants to know an IP address. It asks a stub resolver and the stub resolver asks your ISP and ISP starts talking to all these servers around the world to actually figure it out. So it's the first server that you ask is responsible for doing all the asking to the other servers. Yeah, so typically your own device, your own phone, will only be talking to your internet service provider. Yep. And the internet service provider will, on your behalf, go ask around the world. So it'll first, presuming it knows the root servers because somebody's typed that in or yeah. that, that came with the operating system. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's called the hints yep. file. And uh, there used to be 12 root servers, and the hints file was then used to to ask any of these 12, do you know the the current IP addresses of the root servers? And they're responsible for all the, the top-level domains? Yeah. Not just the .coms, no, .orgs? No, it's .com, .orgs, everything. Yeah, so, okay. and so the root is really where everything starts. So if you, let's say, you take .nl out of the root, then .nl disappears. Ceases to exist. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a powerful... I mean, the people that, that operate these machines, and they're actually not overly impressive machines so like one yeah. one unit high and you can just touch them and 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 it's 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 like feeling the sort of the core of the internet but then then again it's yeah it's just just a one one unit high machine well two of them typically yeah okay um okay well you mentioned earlier that uh, in a in a bad case scenario you can have like 25 packets going to and four from before you finally reach uh, you, the answer but for but for the regular people, how much time is that in yeah. seconds well, if you're lucky? Yeah, well, that's actually a very good question. It turns out that, that you can have a 100 megabit or 100 gigabit internet connection, but if your DNS is slow, your whole internet will feel slow. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's really important how fast your DNS is. Um, and people find that when they change to a better name server, uh, and, and we might get to that because it takes quite a lot of work to build a really high-performance good name server, and I don't mean the software but I just mean the uh, taking care of it. But it, it typically a, a a hit, a cache hit, is in a millisecond or something like that. It's just like ping. So you ask the question, you get the answer. But if there is, if the answer isn't there, it can can easily take 100, 200, 300 milliseconds. And during those those 300 milliseconds, nothing else happens on your computer uh, because everyone is just waiting for that IP address. So it, it really has a big I think DNS right now is, because everyone has so much bandwidth, DNS is probably more the limiting factor in your browsing speed than the actual bandwidth is. Yeah, and what people tend to forget is you go to a page like CNN.com and there are hundreds of lookups because there's ads, there's yeah. redirections, there's pictures from somewhere else. Yeah. All these need to be resolved. Yeah, and, and actually the way it has worked is people outsource part of their hosting to like Akamai, for example. Yeah. And during that outsourcing, they also put a pointer in DNS that says, "Well, if you need this IP, yeah, we're still alive. Uh, if you uh, if you need if you want to show this ad, then also go through the Akamai name servers, which also further delays uh, things. So you, you, this, this is called a chain. 
yeah. a chain of lookups, a C name chain, and some of these chains are now five steps deep. Yeah, and also they, uh, I suppose we're hitting jumping the gun. The time to live on these will be relatively short because you're you're putting it to a name service and you want yeah. the lookups so, to be. So let's 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 take a brief step back because a a DNS can be then take 200, 300 milliseconds. Uh, we like to have caches. We like to have them around. Your operating system has a cache. Your ISP has a cache. Uh, your browser typically st- also has its own cache. And these these things are used to to speed up the lookups. But if you know that you have a rapidly changing IP address, then you don't want it to be cached for too long. So that's called the time to live. And in the time to live, you can say, well, this answer is valid for a day, for example. Which means that that after one lookup. The next lookup from that same server should come along only after 24 hours. Um, but for some reason, people like to set the time to live at five seconds, uh, <laughs> which would make sense if you change your IP address every three seconds uh, or something like that. But it's uh, if, if you look it up, it's and it's it's an amazing amount of work. Um, Somebody actually sets it at five seconds. Oh, they do all the time, and 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 this is sometimes it's just a matter of not thinking. Uh, but there are also people that, that buy DNS-based load balancers, and those load balancers, they just default to something, and well, let's stick with the default. So we had a b- very big Dutch uh, web shop, uh, Wecamp, yeah. and uh, Wecamp had their TTL at zero seconds. And you wonder why, but um, people do. Okie dokie. Sorry, I'm, I'm okay. shocked and stunned here, shocked and stunned. Yeah. Um, well, we... Uh, we already uh, went a bit into uh, what's inside the DNS uh, record, it's, and it's the DNS system as a whole is something like a phone book. But uh, what are the other other attributes you can uh, derive from a, a, a DNS entry? Yeah. What's the information that's usually uh, accompanied with it? Well, I'll first give the usual answer. Uh, the usual answer is that the other big thing that lives in domain name system is where email should be delivered. So if you have mm-hmm. an ohm2013.org, uh, Email address, uh, then there will be names, or there will be uh, uh, mail servers associated with that domain, and that's then an MX record lookup in DNS, and that will tell the internet if you want to send email to these folks, then you need to use this uh, mail server. But that's the other really big thing that's in there. Uh, another big thing that's there is spam filtering information, so people can publish for IP addresses to say this IP address has been known to send spam. And you can look that up, and that's also stored in, in DNS. So these are things that, that lots of people know about that are stored in DNS. Um, what is relatively little known is that anytime you, you use your uh, cell phone to sign on to the uh, 3G or GSM or 4G or LTE network or whatever, um, there's a thing called an APN, which says, uh, which uh, well, th- those are the details for your internet service provider. And that's an, on your SIM card. And actually... That APN sometimes looks a little bit like a domain name, and that's because it is. So, um, so next to the internet uh, use of, of DNS, um, all mobile phones in the world, whenever you sign them on, deep from down in the firmware, it does a DNS lookup to figure out the details on how it should connect uh, to the uh, well to the telephony infrastructure. And uh, and these are like very tiny DNS, very small DNS servers that each each uh, each Cell phone operator has to run one, and uh, and every time you turn on your phone, there's a little DNS query to that. And you're uh, you're talking to us, going to talk to us about uh, uh, Power DNS. 
Well, I, I could talk about anything. But, uh, okay. So the, the, the history is, is with my own history with DNS is, is PowerDNS. Um, we started out in uh, 1998, I think, uh, when there was really there were only two name servers in the world. Bind being one, and Bind, and the other was the Tiny DNS, I think, okay. or DJB DNS. And uh, and at the time we wanted to have a load balancing name server, or you could say, well, we want to have the, the visitors from Europe go to a European IP address. We want to have the visitors from the U.S. go to a U.S. IP address, and we want to solve that problem from DNS. Okay. And no one did that at the time. So then we, and this were the dot-com days. This one where where you, where you could start the company with a bad idea, and you would still get money. And uh, and actually, our idea was not not. Well, it was a bad idea because the world was not ready for uh, for commercial DNS because we started out as a a, a real dot-com that was not open source, and uh, at the time, no one wanted wanted. Everyone used only open source DNS, so no one was ready for that. But uh, originally, we started as a closed source software company with the goal of making this DNS-based load balancer. And the interesting thing, we never got around to actually writing the DNS-based load balancer. Um, sometimes you forget why you started something. And the DNS-based load balancing uh, only arrived when the Wikipedia uh, contributed, that, contributed that code to PowerDNS and, uh, and moved uh, to it. So for a very long time, the Wikipedia used PowerDNS to distribute uh, queries around the world. And I think they still do. Okay. Um, so PowerDNS is a uh, an open source name server, um, and it's uh, it can run. Uh, and that's that's the unique thing about it. I think there that it, it can get its data from a database. Okay. So most name servers, if you have to edit a zone, you edit a text file. And and I personally, I like editing text files. I, I have no issues with that. Uh, but if you have a million domain names, it becomes a bit uh, unwieldy. Have a million text files, um, so we decided early on that we would be doing DNS directly from MySQL, PostgreSQL, or Sybase, or whatever. And uh, and to this day, that's that's really what we are best known for uh, for doing that. And yeah, that's that's PowerDNS. What's Our, when did it become open source, and what license is it under? Uh, we did that, I think, in two thousand one. Uh, and we then went for the GPL version 2. Okay. And uh, for reason I don't quite remember at the time, um, we decided to stick with version 2. Okay. And um, and I sometimes feel a little bit bad about that because GPL 3 probably has some advantages for us. Um, but at the time we thought, well, the, the standard licensing theme that is in software programs is that uh, this software is licensed under the GPL or any new versions that the Free Software Foundation releases of the GPL, which effectively hands a, a blank check to, to uh, the Free Software Foundation to come up with anything they can call the general public license. Yeah. So yeah. at the time, we thought, well, this Richard Stallman, well, and then I, I admire him very much as, as a uh, sort of a, a saint, and, uh, but he's also a difficult person, and everyone knows that. And um, so at the time, I was like, well... Let's let's not hand him that blank check to be able to change my licensing terms without me knowing it. Yeah, I think, and Linus had also made the same decision as well. So yeah, but I think, but afterwards, but I, I cannot quite recall why I didn't like GPL three. But okay. uh, but the decision was taken before uh, the GPL three was even on the horizon. Okay. Well, and who started the project? Who? Um, that was actually that I was the the, the technical guy. Yeah. And uh, we had an original sort of launching customer, which is called V three. 
V3 redirection services, and they used to be known for having these these nice URLs you have go to and come to and browse to and surf to. Yeah, yeah. And people could use that because if they got some some uh, web space from their service provider, it would be would have a really nasty name. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and, and and registering domain names was tricky, so they they you could with them you could register come to Bert, and and it would function like tinyurl.com does today and redirect for you. And those were the people that actually wanted to have a, uh, a, a, a load balancing solution because they were acquired by an American company. And so that, that's, that's how we, yeah, that was a joint, uh, joint effort of V3. And actually the original V3 guys are still shareholders uh, in, in PowerDNS. Uh, but, but they've been, they, they're, not, they, they, yeah, they're not involved in, in uh, writing any actual code. So there's a company behind this as well? Yeah. There's, um, What's that company called? It's called PowerDNS. Oh, that's uh, <laughs> that's very easy. So uh, so well, fully uh, it's it's known as uh, PowerDNS.com BV because that was the time when people when they registered their company they actually called it .com. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and that company consists uh, of of very limited uh, number of people and, and we're all here. So oh, okay. The entire company is at. Uh, so if an asteroid hits, we're all screwed. Yeah, and actually <laughs> they're, they're, they're switching back to there. There is a sort of. Issue with that 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 we we actually sell twenty four seven high end support with fifteen minutes response times, which means that we cannot get drunk together. Okay, or, yeah. at least, or at least not so much that we can no longer provide support. And don't worry, folks. I've uh, all around the campsite. I saw fiber optic cables, so they're probably closer to the backbone of the internet. No, no, we we uh, yeah we we are able to support people from here. And so we only had one support issue come up uh, so far. This okay, week so that's this good. week. Uh, no, that's uh, yeah, this week. So Forever. No, 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 no. <laughs> We actually get questions. And probably a, an interesting question for people is uh, you started as a closed source company, you opened up the keys to the kingdom, and yet you can afford to live in lavish uh, lifestyle with your Ferrari outside and stuff. How did, how did you make money from all of this stuff? There's not a Ferrari. Um, <laughs> it's a push bike. <laughs> no, no, no. But no, but I think there's a very serious um, point in that. I think that the best open source is open source that's able to um, fund itself so that the developers have lots of time to work on the actual project. Um, if you look at the, the statistics for the Linux kernel, for example, 80% of the Linux kernel is written by, by people that actually have a job, which means that they have to program on Linux. Yeah. And um, I, I strongly feel that it's very difficult, challenging to write open source in your uh, high quality open source in your spare time. Yeah. Uh, because people, they have they have a job during the day. They get home, they're tired. They have worked already, and and then maybe they can squeeze in two hours of development, um, which is only even only possible if they don't have a family or other stuff that there also wants go. to yeah, talk yeah. to them. So I, I think I think that it's that that one of the and that's also my my talk for Friday. I we we succeeded in 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 living the open source dream. We we are, we are an open source company, and we live from our open source project, and when we live quite well. And uh, and I think that 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 is a model that that other open source projects should seriously look at because it it allows you to devote serious time to your open source project. Yeah. Okay. So, but the code is open. What's where where does the cash come from? Well, I I, I want to thank Microsoft um, for this. Uh, um, no, actually, but it works like this. Um, there was ingrained in people's memories a model that software costs serious money. And then on top of that series money, there was a 15% maintenance fee to be paid. Yeah. That was the industry standard. Yeah, yeah. Everyone knew that. And then um, in the open source world, software had always been free. So the software was free. Um, 
and then suddenly um, Microsoft started to give away rather large pieces uh, of software together with Windows. And they were able to, for example, they at one point they started giving away um, media servers to uh, companies doing serious broadcasting on Windows 2008, I think. And okay, a free digital uh, broadcasting infrastructure came along with that. But here's the interesting thing. The broadcasting organizations that worked with that said, well, thank you that it's free, but frankly, we don't care that it's free because we will be basing our business on it. We want you to guarantee that it works. We won't be able to, to talk to you, and, and if there's an issue, we want you to feel responsible. So what happened, it is no longer weird in the industry that software might be free. That doesn't, that doesn't change anything. If you look at the big uh, uh, telecommunication service providers like, like Verizon and those kinds of places, they don't care that the software is free. That doesn't matter at all. But they still want to pay for the guarantee that someone will pick up the phone if it breaks. And, um, and it used to be weird for people to be paying support for free software. But in, in, the, in very big companies, it's, it's, it's very normal these days. Yeah, okay, cool. And uh, you have, um, do you have any uh, big companies that you can mention here that might be using the um, uh, PowerDNS or not? Well, no, well, the, let me call, I'll give a list, five yeah. companies and three of them are using PowerDNS. Okay. So, and I can always deny that anyone saw so that we France Telecom, Deutsche Telekom, uh, British Telecom, um, Verizon, and uh, T-Mobile. Okay. And some of those are using... Some of those are actually using PowerDNS. Okay, very good. And some of them are actually also paying for it. <laughs> that's, that's also quite good. I myself worked for a company who used PowerDNS, and it actually got a bad rap from a lot of people. Uh, and, but when, we, when you investigate the reason why, it was more to do with the choice of database, a MySQL database on, on the and replication issues with the MySQL database on the, on the back end. And this was a long time ago, of course. What would you recommend for somebody um, starting out? What sort of database would be your personal favorite to use? Yeah, I, I, I used to answer MySQL to that question. Um, and and to, to get back to your story, if the, whole, if the PowerDNS installation has an issue, then, then, then there is an issue. And we could, of course, say, well, it's MySQL. Uh, but we need a database to function. So we, we, we do, and we do know that MySQL used to have issues with the replication. Um, these days, I, w I would always, I would, I think, probably recommend PostgreSQL for almost everything. Yeah. Um, but replication, I don't think anyone is really happy with their replication setup. Um, Why not? Well, I, if, you, if you ask people, you say, well, have you ever had your databases get out of sync? And everyone will say, yeah, yeah, yes. that, yeah, yeah that happened yeah. to me. And uh, I had to resync, and it took ages. And um, so that's actually the... the so, we, for example, one setup I run is rather unconventional. I, uh, I use SQLite, and I distribute my updates using rsync. Well, you use uh, SQLite? Yeah, and uh, it turns out SQLite is, is really fast. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's rock solid, and, uh, and, and because it's just one flat file, uh, I can rsync it across. But it's... Is it not single thread? You're only allowed one connection. But then again, uh, no, well, no, it's not. No, no. You, well, you, you have to be sure. You have to. You have to think hard about get, not getting locked in your own. Uh, yeah, connection. that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, as long as you make care, make sure that you, that you don't lock yourself out of the house. Yeah, <laughs> so to speak. Then, then there is no really no issue with it. So, I, I, I actually, I actually, yeah, I like that one. 
but we support uh, MySQL, PostgreSQL, Sybase, uh, MongoDB, and, 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 and a whole array of, of, of other things. <laughs> LDAP and stuff. So I, 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 we sort of, as PowerDNS, we try to say, well, we support your database, and, and we, we don't we don't say, well, this is the main one we support. What sort of operating systems do you run on? It's, uh, well, the, the usual ones. So Linux, uh, FreeBSD, OpenBSD, NetBSD, uh, Mac, uh, most of the time. No um, Windows. No, we, we actually, that, that is a very interesting, th- I think of it a very interesting story. Every once in a while we get the itch and we compile PowerDNS for Windows. And uh, it's about a week of work. So it's it's not it's it's doable. Uh, yeah, yeah. Windows has grown enough Unix features that it's 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 no longer that hard to do. Um, and when we do that, an executable comes out, and and we we tested it a little bit, and we asked it three questions, and it worked, and we put it online. This was around eight years ago, and there have been I think a hundred thousand downloads of the Windows version, far more than ever have been of the Linux version, and. Even though it doesn't actually work that executable, because it, it leaks memory like a sieve, so you have to restart it every six hours or something like that. There are people have, using it in full production. Um, because I think on Windows, people are used to software that sucks. Um, for that reason, uh, because and then we removed that executable. Yeah. Because people said, well, yeah, you, you have it online, so you must be supporting it. So we took away the executable, and there is now a script out there that tries to download the executable every 15 minutes just to see if it's coming back. And, wow. And, um, and then that never sees. So at one point, I just briefly put the executable back to get that script off, off, off my server, but uh, after a few weeks, it came back again. Um, the Windows version, actually, no one, really no one does DNS on Windows. There's no one, even even really, really super-duper Microsoft shops, and I'm not an anti-Microsoft guy, but it, it's actually the case that even even Microsoft doesn't do DNS on Windows. Um, so it, it's not something that we really work hard at. Okay. that's. Uh, and, but do you have any requirements, underlying operating system requirements? I mean, Yeah, we have a weird one. Um, so PowerDNS is actually two products, at least. So it's the PowerDNS authoritative server, yep. which you use to publish the phone book, and there's the PowerDNS recursor, which is the one that, that consults the phone book for you. So yep. an ISP would run the re- recursor for its customers. And the recursor um, made a choice to use uh, some some rather obscure Unix system calls, um, which almost no one uses, no one knows. They're called uh, uh, set context, get context, swap context, and, and make context. And uh, and they work very well these calls, but because no one knows them, um, sometimes people forget to implement them. Uh, so, for example, on uh, the ARM uh, CPU platform, uh, the Linux people decided not to implement uh, get context, uh, which means that for a very long time it was not possible to run the PowerDNS recursor on on ARM. Um, and, and after now, I think after more than a decade of this, someone added the the, the required function call to libc. Uh, so it, it is coming now. So that's but that's the only weird uh, requirement uh, we have. Otherwise, it's a very uh, standard standard piece of software. Okay. Would you recommend? Um, is there any use for a home user uh, to have a DNS server and run their own DNS? Yeah. Is I, that I, even allowed from ISPs? It, 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 I don't. I know cur- there are a few really shitty ISPs that don't allow it, but they usually are truly shitty. So our esteemed audience will no, not be customers from such uh, ISPs. 
Uh, because and they disallow it because they mess with your DNS to inject advertisements, uh, that yep. kind of stuff. So it's not a hacker-friendly uh, setup. There is actually a, a pretty good reason to run your own name server, uh, and that's that's well the, the privacy and security story. Uh, name servers are widely used uh, to inject advertising and other stuff, and uh, or hijack uh, domains that don't work. And uh, you may want to be in control of your own DNS. That um, so that's one good reason. Uh, the other good reason is that many uh, service providers that are not really paying attention uh, run pretty shitty name servers, overloaded name servers. Yeah. So it is quite quickly possible to run your own name server and have better performance than your ISP's name server. Would, then all the requests will be going out and coming back for yeah, you. Yeah, that's so true. You but but you probably after one one hour of browsing, everything you ever visited uh, is in the cache. Okay. But but it's true. The the, the internet service providers. Resolver should be faster. Yes, in principle. Uh, in principle, but uh, quite often that's not the case. Um, the current very best name server out there is actually Google DNS, uh, 8.8.8.8. Yeah, for no other reason than it yeah, replies to a thing. Yeah, but it's but it's actually the, 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 they're the best. They just uh, but but then the issue is then you hand all your DNS so then you hand the remaining bits of your DNS tra- internet yeah, traffic yeah, to Google exactly. the, the few pieces that they didn't see already. Um, that's the downside of Google uh, Public DNS. Okay. Um, do you support uh, secure DNS at all? In yeah. Your- well, we we do very much on the uh, authoritative side. Yeah. Um, for more than a decade, we told everyone that DNSSEC was too complex and over over engineered and, and hard to implement, and people confused that for that maybe we wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, but we honestly thought that DNSSEC was too complicated, and and I actually I still believe that. Uh, but then after 10 years, it became obvious that, that DNSSEC would become mandatory in yeah. many circles. So then after uh, saying that it was shit for 10 years, then we decided, okay, but then if we have to do it, we're going to do the best and the easiest implementation uh, we can think of. Uh, so in PowerDNS Authoritative, we now have uh, you know, fire up and go DNSSEC. So it's literally one, one line and then it does DNSSEC for you, um, for your domain. And um, and we worked very hard with our big biggest users to make it friendly to them. And the, what I find interesting result of that is that even of, after saying it for a decade that we found DNSSEC to be too complicated, we now have a 97% market share of DNSSEC. Pretty impressive. Pretty um, good. Yeah, and it, it is. Been, and we have, have, we have had a lot of help from, from friends to make that happen. But we also listened really well to our uh, the users that wanted to do DNSSEC. So we worked really hard to make it incredibly easy for them. And uh, and in the end, what helped is that uh, some of the uh, registries, which are the, the national operators of uh, DNS infrastructure, they decided to hand out money if you deploy DNSSEC. Oh, okay. And uh, that convinced many of the biggest users. Um, as an anecdote, one of the, the big power DNS users in the Netherlands um, was able to buy a new brand new motorcycle um, from deploying DNSSEC. And, uh, and and that was why he was quite motivated uh, to make that happen. So that's how, that's how you get a 97% market share. Okay, yeah. Oh, fair enough. Um, okay, um, before we continue on the, the question, could you uh, go into what DNSSEC is and how it works? That's very good. Um, so in the most basic sense, um, DNS is the phone book of the internet, and DNSSEC is sort of the phone book of the internet with an official stamp that the answer you got was the right answer. 
uh, DNS by itself that does not have any uh, cryptography on it. So you get back an answer that says, well, this is the IP address of uh, home2013.org and good luck. And anyone could change that packet midway and you'd never know that it has been changed. It's a plain text, unauthenticated protocol. And that didn't sit easy with people because they said, well, but it's so important. It's so it's at the very root, at the core of the internet. So we also want crypto on that. So with, and, and then they said something else. They said, but we love DNS so much that we don't want to change it. And that's where it went wrong. Um, <laughs> DNS is incredibly flexible. You can, you can put anything in DNS and people have put anything in DNS. And so they said, well, we can just add the crypto to it. We'll just add a, 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 a record type and we'll call it key and a record type and we call it signature and uh, bam, and we're done. And then it turned out that, that this... So that, and everyone was in love with that idea. Everyone was in love that, wow, we built a protocol that's so flexible that we can just add the encryption to it later. Um, then they discovered that that wasn't actually true. Uh, that DNS didn't work like that because it would, it would, for example, drop the keys because the the cache expired first and, and that kind of stuff. So it didn't. We, it was not possible to retrofit DNSSEC on DNS, and that's the point where people would have should have said, "Well, let's work on DNS too. Uh, let's just start from scratch. Let's buy. Let's build something better uh, than DNS and make it secure from the ground up." But that's not what they did, what they did. Uh, they sort of squeezed the crypto into DNS and, and, modif- and, and had to change the rules, had to modify how DNS actually works. And out came this monstrosity called uh, DNSSEC. And, um, and as an example of how monstrous that is, there are now queries you can ask on the internet, a very simple query that says, uh, tell me everything you know about uh, ICANN.org. And I think right now you get back a four kilobyte packet answer with four kilobytes of encryption, uh, encryption on it. Um, so to, to boil it uh, down, it's, it's a way to make DNS secure, but while, while it made it secure, the very security made these packets so enormous that they now are in themselves a security risk. Uh, that's correct. I've had uh, a complaint uh, from somebody regarding my own uh, name server regarding a request uh, done towards the site of that very packet. Yeah. Okay. Why, why is this? Uh, well, the problem. Let's 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 make an example. I have a I have a shitty. Let's say I would have a shitty internet connection at home. Yeah. And uh, and and I would send out a few uh, a few packets per second to Nido's name server, and I generate maybe uh, uh, one megabit of of traffic. And now Nido's name server sends back answers that are forty times bigger than my questions. So suddenly I turn my one megabit per second of queries into a 40 megabit per second stream of answers. In itself, that's not a problem because the answers are all coming back to me. So I just did a denial of service attack on myself. That's not that much of a problem. Now I fake my IP address. And I take, uh, I assume, someone else's IP address. And, uh, and I send questions from someone else's IP address. And then at my one megabit per uh, query uh, rate comes back as a 40 megabit per second denial of service attack. And and this is currently I was this morning I was approached by a big name server operator a big DNS operator and he told me they now have 50 gigabits per second pipes and they get filled with 50 gigabits per second of denial of service attacks. Okay. Well, how how is it possible to spoof the IP address 
What? Is it not TCP connection? No, DNS is UDP. Oh, <laughs> and that's that's the part where where I think that when okay, we yeah. when, when I said we should have just done DNS too, and that's where we would have, should have changed that and and have some kind of two way handshake there in there. Yeah, okay. but UDP it's it's currently fully uh, fully connectionless, and uh, and actually the the solutions that are being pondered right now are just saying well you should be doing TCP IP yeah. for DNS. And for a long time, everyone said, yeah, but that's that's too slow because UDP is so much faster. And the reason people said that was because there were, there were no tools to benchmark that. There was no DNS uh, TCP benchmarking tool. So everyone had just assumed that it was slow. And then when we actually uh, wrote that tool uh, to try it out, it turned out that TC- DNS over TCP is not slow. And why is that the case? Everyone has been optimizing their servers for HTTP for the past decade. And uh, and the result of that is that in some cases TCP is now actually faster than UDP because it's oh, okay. so hi- it's so highly optimized. For example, Linux. Uh, if you send a UDP packet from Linux, it will send it sort of synchronously. Uh, it just drops the packet in in the queue of the, of the Ethernet uh, device, and then it returns control to user space. Um, if you do the same thing for TCP, it just copies the uh, the data you want to send to the kernel, and then your user space can get on with whatever it was doing. And in, in the background, the kernel will actually take care of the transmission for you. So it, it turns out that if you do DNS over TCP, you get lots more packets. That is true. You get like six times more packets. Mm-hmm. Um, but your operating system is so well-tuned for that that uh, you can actually still achieve a very high query rate. Okay. And that would solve the denial of service attack. That would at least, uh, it, yeah, that would improve it massively because that would disallow the, the, the blind spoofing mm-hmm. going on right now. And I think that within this year, within the next 12 months, we will see a movement towards making um, people actually mandate that they support DNS over TCP. Okay. Uh, Because one of the denial-of-service mitigation techniques you can use is if you get a lot of queries over UDP, you send back one answer that says, well, the next question I need to see is over TCP. And if someone then doesn't come back over TCP, then you know that you are looking at spoofed traffic. Okay. But as it stands, um, people routinely deny port 53 on TCP for DNS because there are still the old old guidelines out there that say that it's good for security to block DNS over TCP. I mean, a lot of people were using it as a transport to do tunneling over. Yeah, oh yeah, that's also true. Yeah. And, uh, so that's kind of how that got blocked. Yeah, you, you whatever you, we're gonna lose in some way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do, do you have any idea uh, where this recommendation came from to block TCP uh, DNS uh, traffic? I, I think, I, yeah, I think I do. Um, DNS is the phone book of the internet, and nice and like a phone book, you can make a copy of it. And this is called a zone transfer. Mm-hmm. And if you do a zone transfer of any interesting... Um, recently, I, I, I came across a zone from a, a rather big uh, international corporation. And um, if you see that zone, then suddenly you see um, lots of domain names that you didn't know exist. So uh, this um, uh, uh, manufacturer of printers turned out to have FTP servers all over the place. And you would not have known, but if you had downloaded the entire zone, you suddenly saw FTP dot south africa dot blah 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 dot com and well who knew um so if you're able to transfer a zone you get a sort of map of uh, ip addresses which you can attack and the, the easiest way to block uh, uh, zone transfers is to block tcp 
because zone transfers always happen over TCP. Yeah. And I think that's the origin of the, uh, of the recommendation to block TCP port 53. A lot of comp- companies block it as well because in the zone transfers they've got new projects, uh, exactly. new products. Yeah. So, and it, and, and, but the thing is, that you can also block the zone transfer just from the software. Yeah. You don't need to block it on the firewall. Yeah, but... True enough. <laughs> yeah, but but any any auditor, I mean, it's probably I, I, it's still being copy pasted uh, in in manuals. That um, we also had that issue with uh, uh, Cisco default configurations. I think for for half a decade, they everyone told Cisco uh, update your default configuration because it blocks DNSSEC, it blocks secure DNS. And but Cisco is apparently big enough that that even if lots of people within Cisco are trying to change the manual, the manual does not change. And uh, and finally, it took some vi- some senior vice president there to just put his foot down. And now, now finally, if you take a default configuration, it will no longer block DNSSEC, but it might still block port 53 for all I know on, on TCP. Okay. Okay. Um, well, um, let's see. Uh, can we talk a bit uh, more about uh, the databases uh, and how uh, PowerDNS makes use of those? Yeah, um, that's a good one. Um, DNS, a typical, the kind of query rate that people care about in DNS is in the order of 10 or 20,000 queries per second. Big operators like to be able to do that kind of DNS query rates. Um, You can go far higher, but I think most people feel comfortable with 10 or 20,000 queries per second. Um, Each DNS query uh, can translate into three or four or five database backend queries. Uh, that has to do with looking up wildcards and C names and other things. So that means that that's 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 use a factor of four. That you're quickly looking at sixty, seventy, or eighty thousand database queries per second. Um, most databases get very unhappy uh, if you do that. Uh, it's not what they like. Um, so because of that, we have our own internal uh, name server, uh, sorry, database caching engine. So we try to make sure that we don't we don't keep asking the name server the same uh, the database the same question all the time, um, and using this mechanism, which is database independent, so we do it for all our backends, um, we are able to to break down those five queries to maybe one on average, um, and this allows us to achieve serious query rates uh, on top of a database that itself would not uh, be wanting to supply that. And the the most important things we block are queries that actually have no answer. Because if you ask if you ask a database for for a record that doesn't exist, that is almost by definition the, the hardest amount of work that has to do because it actually has to look everywhere to see if the, the data actually really doesn't exist. So we we block both the presence uh, sorry we cache both the presence of data and the absence of data. Okay, um, um, let's see. And that would sorry that would be a obviously to be one look up where it says it's not there and then you. Yeah. Then you maintain that for how long? Well, that, that's configurable. Yeah. And 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 the question, of course, is for so for example, we we have one very big user that is under a denial of service attack a lot, and they have have set their cache uh, TTL at uh, one day. Okay. Yeah. And but the problem, of course, with that is that that you get very little traffic to your database. But if you make any changes to the database, no one would know about them. Um. However, we have a very uh, a powerful infrastructure where you can do selective cache invalidations within PowerDNS. Uh, and you can do that remotely. So that means that, that those folks have hooked up uh, triggers to their web interface that when someone makes a change to a domain name, 
uh, the PowerDNS instances get a message that says remove this stuff from your cache because the database changed. So they're able to run at a 24-hour cache lifetime but still serve fresh answers. Oh, very nice. And one of the things that kind of annoyed me about Bind was having to restart every time you made a a change to your zone. Yeah, that's the thing we explicitly decided to avoid. Uh, we, we never wanted to force anyone to do a restart uh, for, uh, except when you really change the configuration. But, if, but, we, but the other thing is, if you do a restart of PowerDNS, it, it, it takes one second. Uh, because we don't have to read through all the zones on startup. Uh, and you make a mistake and then you have to restore the zone file. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because we, 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 we have a sort of philosophy that uh, comes from uh, RFC uh, 1925, which is the 12 fundamental networking truths which is the best RFC ever. And every, anyone should read it, print it out, RFC 1925. And uh, it has a set of rules for, for network infrastructure. And uh, I think rule number two is it has to work. <laughs> and, uh, and it's interesting that it needs to be set. Um, and and ex- note explicitly that, that RFC 1925 does not say it has to be right. It says it has to work. And um, our our we 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 are very we have lots of solidarity with the people that are on call for 24 hours a day yeah and we want the software to just work and 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 be be up and 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 if if you make a mistake somewhere so we we have a limited number of mistakes where the, the name server will just not launch but you really have to mess it up to make that happen but as long as we know that we we are able to serve data correctly then we then we will do it um and that means indeed that if you make one mistake in a zone file, that, or in the, in the yeah, there is no centralized big configuration file, so it's it's tricky to uh, the, the 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 classic situation when with name servers going down is that someone put a semicolon uh, in the wrong place. Yeah, and um, and that's the the beauty um, of DNS is that it's so resilient that that quite often people only notice that something is wrong when the last of the three name servers is down, and then when people look up, it turns out the other two had been down for for months already. Uh, but no one knew. Um, I would also like to comment a little bit on, on, on Bind and, and other name servers. Um, we get along pretty well with everyone else. Uh, so it's it's it actually so we we drink beer with the people from from Bind and and the people from from Nelnet Labs and other stuff. And we have our differences in in our philosophy on how we we write the software. Mm-hmm. But uh, people often assume that we would be enemies with with the Internet Software Corporation and and. That is so incredibly not the case uh, that we when we also try not to make fun of each other's securities mistakes because Bind uh, yeah. recently had a very big one and we make no fun of that because we know that one day we will have a very big security mistake and uh, it happens to everybody. Uh, yeah, sooner or later, yeah, there was further. Okay. Um for uh, regular people who are listening to this and think, uh, hey, maybe it's a good idea to deploy uh, some DNS for myself because I don't really trust my ISP or I think they're slow or whatever, is there any recommendation uh, recommendation you can do for them? Um, well, that we so we we have very big users and we have very small users. Um, One of the the things I like for the the more regular user. Um, and you still have to be a, 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 a Unix geek. I mean, if you're not a Unix geek, then then it's hard to take control of your own infrastructure. Um, um, but the, I think one of the nice small features we have in uh, in, in PowerDNS is if you run it as your uh, recursor, 
uh, we have a feature called export etc hosts which means that with with no real work yeah. uh, you can uh, if you have a printer with an ip address and you put that printer in slash etc slash hosts and and you configure PowerDNS with export etc hosts it will share that with your home network so that means if you have a few ip addresses in your home that you just want to work you don't need to set up an entire zone file uh, we will just make yeah, it will just work for you um so that that's yeah, and then if you would do that, then then at least you you're no longer giving away the few percent of traffic that Google was not not seeing yet, and uh, and you're also probably getting better performance. So the receiver will be one that you'd run locally. It's it's yeah. like the cache. Yeah, it's uh, the cache. Okay. Uh, so now it runs on, a, on an ARM processor. So technically, it would run on a Raspberry Pi. Yeah, it would. That, that's also the that's the main reason I think it's getting fixed. Um, we uh, because that's that we would uh, yeah we would love to be able to do that. Uh, um, just have a little name server brick uh, that just just does its thing. And hypothetically, you were saying that you run it on um, a DNS server again. Sorry, my brain is fried in this heat. You use uh, SQL Lite. Yeah, which yeah. runs very nicely on yeah. a Raspberry yeah. Pi. Yeah, yeah. So you could you could have this little name server brick and everything on there and. Uh, could you run your own um, like uh, .hacker domain outside of the whole infrastructure, and then? Yeah, yeah, you can, and uh, and people do that do that kind of stuff a lot. Um, and um, but and the interesting thing is, so so people do that, yeah, and you can, and it's nice, and it's fun to do it. But here's the interesting thing: if you look at the root name servers, <laughs> so, which are at, at the core of the DNS of the phone book, 95% of the queries they get are for domains like .hacker. And dot printer and dot corp and 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 dot office and whatever. Yeah. And these are so these are these sort of internal queries that leak out to the internet, and they are yeah. leaking out at such a rate that now 95% of the traffic at the DNS root servers has nothing to do with the internet. Okay. Well, and those queries would have been resolved by everybody yeah, they, else. They should have Nobody been. They should knows. have been. Yeah. They should have been. They should never have left the office. Yeah. Exactly. These are, these but are, then when they do get out, they have to keep going up to the very root yeah. because nobody else knows no, about no, them. No, no, and, and and then the yeah. root says, "Well, we I don't know about dot corp and dot printer <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and and that that's actually a very uh, uh, ongoing discussion right now because um, there are these top level domains like dot com and dot net and and dot gov and those um, there are now thousands of new ones being pondered. And uh, they will be handed out maybe this year, maybe next year, I don't know. But some of them that are being discussed for handing out are ones that people might have been using internally. Yeah. So all of a sudden you were leaking queries for .corp or whatever, and suddenly .corp starts to exist. And maybe your printer that has been trying to uh, report its status to a central server .corp will suddenly start reporting its status to a server in Russia or yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I, you can run your own domain names, but they, they always tend to to leak and get out. So, um, yeah, be careful Old. with that. <laughs> well, I, I would these days I would actually recommend to just get a real domain name and just use that one. Yeah. Uh, because that will at least always end up at your servers. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm also thinking about you wanted to build uh, your own network, and you wanted, you know, for privacy issues, you wanted to keep your own network running and uh, a federation of friends, for example, yep. that you just brought up your own DNS? It is done. Uh, people do it. And uh, these are called sort of alternate routes where people yep. say, well, we have our own DNS uh, infrastructure. Um, 
the the thing the issue with that is that it's incredibly uh, it's very uh, exclusionary when you do that. Uh, DNS is really a one, you, you you either on board with the alternate route or you're on board with the normal route. Yeah. And um, and it's, it's there there are these organizations do do exist that have defined their own internet, but they're very lonely people. Okay. Uh, because once you get on board with their vision on the internet, suddenly other parts of the internet disappear. And, uh, or you have websites that work for you and for no one else. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it, it's, typically it's tremendously hard to have distributed, um, fully decentralized naming. Naming is really implicitly uh, a, a hierarchical thing. I'm just wondering, you know, back in the day there were zone files being passed, you know, host files being passed around and then they become zone files and then DNS developed. You know, with uh, with the advent of BitTorrent or something like that, could you send like a terabyte file with all the DNS records from everywhere in it? People people are have been trying real hard to apply crypto principles to enable fully distributed and totally uncontrolled decentralized naming. And the most advanced one that is Namecoin, which is related to uh, to Bitcoin technologies, and um, and. From a philosophical standpoint, I think they've 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 come the, the furthest in in because and and I'm not a name coin expert to be honest, but the one thing they got right is if you let's start naively with with so let's say we 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 three we band together and we start a list of all domain names. Yeah, good plan. And uh, and then we put on there that uh, uh, ohm2013.org is hosted by uh, the NSA. And then someone else says, "No, no, 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 no. That's not. That's not true. It's it's hosted by Ifcat and 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 whatever." And and then as the casual internet user, you wouldn't know who to trust. You never know if the IP address you got is from one political faction or for the other. Yeah. Um, what the Namecoin people did, uh, the Namecoin people made it sure that um, you need to invest in your name. You need to spend serious clock cycles on defending your name. And that means that, and, and every time people use it, it becomes sort of more embedded. So they, they solve the decentralized federated naming issue with uh, proof-of-work statements. And that means that, that the one that has been claiming that ohm2013.org is, is his domain for the longest time, because they have the oldest proof-of-work, they can say, well, I have a valid claim to it. Um, but it's still incredibly messy. And, and like I said, the DNS is like the sewer of the internet. You want it to work, or you're covered in shit, and that's the same stuff with the with the federated naming. People have very little patience for DNS that is more secure but doesn't actually work. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I I would typically recommend to get your security at a higher level than 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 DNS. Okay, if you were doing DNS too, what what would you do properly? Um, oh, carte blanche. Uh, you can do it. I, I would. I would do any amount things. of money. Um, the weird, the one of the the oddest things about DNS is that DNS has no way of saying there is no answer to your question. So, uh, so if you say, "Give me the IP address for uh, www.ohm2014.org," the answer to that is empty. There is no answer. It gives you an empty, empty answer. That means there are no answers. When you try to do crypto based on that, you need to sign this empty answer. The problem is all the empty answers are identical. Yes. So it's that's why the DNS specification, the DNSSEC specification is now bigger than the DNS specification. 
so we have an enhancement that is bigger than the original. Uh, to work around this issue, the first thing I would do was would, would be to have a DNS that can just say, I now authoritatively state that this domain name does not exist. And then you could sign that one, yeah. for example. Um, the other big thing uh, I would... Just to put in, that would help me troubleshooting DNS issues. Yeah. Then you'll yeah, you would actually say, oh, I hear it says here. Because right now we hacked that in. Actually, originally DNS really didn't have a way of saying it really doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, and and then it was hacked in that that there's a little trick you do that in in the, in the DNS answer you put another record and then you derive from the presence of that other record that there really is no such domain. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but there was a trick, and everyone knows it's a trick. And uh, the, so that's the that's the first thing I would, would definitely change. The interesting thing is that um, I, I I met with the the original inventor of DNS, uh, Paul Mokopetris. Mm-hmm. And uh, he works in France uh, these days, and he, he's a really interesting guy. And uh, he, he explained how the internet was really designed and how it worked. And um, he, he, he told me that, that when they came up with DNS, he got a question from uh, John Postel. I'm sorry to have to interrupt here, but we have a problem with the tent. We have to get everybody out. So we'll be on music for a while while the problems with the tent are getting sorted. So sorry about that. No problem. Bye. Okay, well, uh, we're going to evacuate and... Uh Maybe we'll uh, finish this later. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HPR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Share Alike, 3.0 license.